0: How is Arkansas encouraging EV adoption? And what do activists think of the proposed carbon capture and storage project in Louisiana? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Beckasphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a climate communicator. Today is Monday, October 17th. Let's jump right into today's news. Let's start with some extreme weather events. The UN estimates that a record 2.1 million people in Chad face acute hunger due to the worst drought in 30 years and a subsequent flooding event that knocked out crops. That's about a fifth of the country's population. 10% of all children in the country are affected by severe malnutrition and one in three are expected to suffer from stunted growth. Meanwhile, the Alaskan Department of Fish and Game canceled the winter snow crab season in the Bering Sea for the first time in history. That's a $200 million industry. The snow crab population has dramatically dropped from about 8 billion in 2018 down to 1 billion crabs in 2021. Scientists are not totally sure why, but climate change is likely involved. The Arctic is warming four times as fast as the global average. As suggested by its name, snow crabs need cold water to survive. So when the sea ice melts faster, the time in which cold pools form changes, which could impact the snow crab population. Bristol Bay's Red King crab season has also been canceled for the second year in a row due to a large population decline. Time for a climate study. This one is rough. The latest Living Planet Index report determined that wildlife populations had declined by an average of 69% from the year 1790 to 2018. You might have read this terrifying statistic because it was immediately covered everywhere, but it turns out a lot of articles misunderstood the findings. So let me break down exactly what this number means. First of all, the index is one of the most ambitious efforts to track all the animals on land and in the sea. And a new report comes out about about every 2 years. It's produced by the World Wild Fund of Nature and the Zoological Society of London. It only looks at vertebrates, so the spineless animals were not included. Overall, 5,320 species were looked at among almost 32,000 populations, which is the largest sample size yet. Many countries don't have good species monitoring services. Obviously, there's way more than 5,320 vertebrate species in the world, but these species were chosen to be part of this study because of how much data was available for them. Data had to reach back to 1970. This could mean that this crisis is not as bad as it seems, but it also could mean that it is much, much worse. Many scientists would argue it's worse because the data barely includes one of the worst hit groups of animals. Amphibians. Of the data, the index includes negative 69% is the average population size change, meaning some populations might have only fallen by 10%, while others fell by 80%. Other populations might have increased by 20 So it does not mean that there is 69% less wildlife out there. That being said, this average population decline is still very worrying and has gotten worse over the years. Latin America and the Caribbean saw the worst regional drop from 1970 to 2018, down 94%. This pattern was the most pronounced in freshwater fish, reptiles, and amphibians. Africa was next at 66%. Asia and the Pacific saw 55%. The region defined as Europe Central Asia saw a small decline of 18%, as did North America at 20%. But researchers said larger biodiversity declines could have happened before 1970 in those regions, something that wouldn't have been reflected in the data. The vast majority of this biodiversity decline is man-made from land use changes to invasive species to chemical pollution to climate change. Climate change will likely become the main driver of species extinction soon. Biodiversity is the net that holds humans up. It's our food supply, our medicine, the air we breathe, and a climate stabilizer all its own. We need to conserve it if we are to effectively tackle the climate crisis. So that's why I'm talking about it here. We need some climate victories after that. So let's start in Australia. Australians, did you know that switching to electric appliances right now could save you $500 to $1,900 a year off your energy bill? That's according to a new report by Climate Council. In Melbourne, it could save you $943 a year by electrifying your heating, cooking, and hot water systems. Upgrade to a solar water heater and your energy savings could be as high as $1,207 a year. On the screen are some more estimated price savings, depending on where you live. The council recommends state governments to incentivize the switch with low to zero interest loans. In the U.S., the Biden administration released its national security strategy, and it mentioned the climate crisis a lot. Climate change is in the center of policymaking surrounding China and the Arctic, among other areas. This isn't the first time the U.S. government has considered climate change a national security threat, but this is the first time that it really has been put at center stage. Some ways climate change impacts our national security include extreme weather events weakening economic hubs and infrastructure, destabilization of governments through climate change straining economic and food systems, and increased human migration due to political economic and food system destabilization. The U.S. reiterated its willingness to negotiate with rivals like China to tackle climate change, though it did take an opportunity. to jab China for its impact on climate change through particularly coal-fired power production. China is the second largest historical greenhouse gas emitter behind the U.S., so I'm not sure we can talk. Speaking of China, the World Bank estimates that China needs $17 trillion in additional private investment to meet its climate goal of reaching net zero by 2060. Additionally, China might soon become more open to discussing climate things with the U.S. again as it becomes a bigger liquefied gas or LNG, customer to the U.S., As a reminder, China stopped having a dialogue with the US on most things after US House Speaker Pelosi took a little unwelcome trip to Taiwan. Anyways, while gas doesn't emit as much carbon dioxide as burning coal or oil, it is mainly made of methane, which is 84 times better at trapping in heat than CO2 for the first 20 years they're in the atmosphere. Methane has a bad habit of leaking, so I'm not saying the US or China engaging in more fossil fuel activity is a good thing, but it does potentially open a channel to more energy talks between the two super emitters in other us defense news the air force and space force released its climate action plan in the beginning of this month their goal is to reach net zero emissions by 2046. I am curious to see how the Space Force plans to decarbonize space travel, but I'm here for it. The Air Force has the largest carbon footprint in the Department of Defense, and the DOD has a carbon footprint similar to that of Denmark. The department has come out to say that it considers climate change to be one of the largest national security threats facing the U.S. today. The Air Force and the Space Force plan to spend $36 million next year on infrastructure retrofits meant to reduce emissions and adapt to climate change. The amount is expected to grow to $100 million per year by the end of 2026. Let's look at some state news now. Arkansas had to open its new round of electric charging station rebate programs early because there was so much demand for it. The rebates can cover up to 90% of the costs of eligible public level two charging stations, which can charge vehicles in eight hours or less. In the first round of rebates this year, the program reimbursed more than $200,000 in EV charging station costs. The $230,000 that just opened up was supposed to be offered until 2023. The money comes from the $14.6 billion the state was awarded from Volkswagen, who was caught cheating in a required federal emissions test back in 2015. The rebates are available for up to 10 Level 2 charging stations per applicant installed after February 1st and available for public use. Similar rebates are also available for places like apartment complexes and employers with private parking. The rebates cover up to 90% of the charging station costs on government-owned property and 70% of costs for public chargers on non-government property. For workplace or multi-unit dwelling stations, the rebates will cover up to 50%. Arkansas is also providing financial assistance in installing 150 kilowatt DC fast chargers, which can charge vehicles in less than an hour. It'll pay for 75% of the cost. Arkansas recently received $54.1 million from the new National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program created by the Inflation Reduction Act to go towards making publicly available DC charging stations every 50 miles within one mile of interchanges. Over on the West Coast, Vancouver becomes the fourth big city in Washington state to permanently ban large new fossil fuel developments on its land. Any new fuel sources must be made from clean energy sources. Existing fossil fuel projects can only expand up to 15% and only if it switches to cleaner fuels, upgrades seismic standards, gets fire and spill response plans approved, etc. Farther south, five California tribes agreed to join the tribal marine stewards network where they will collectively get $3.6 million to lead 12 coastline conservation initiatives over the next three years. Four tribes are in Northern California and one is in Southern California. Some initiatives already underway include restoring salmon spawning beds near Santa Cruz, monitoring mussel populations, and working with tribal leaders to conserve threatened traditional plants and animals. California also just approved a $140 million desalinization plan for Orange County, past L.A., It will produce enough clean drinking water to serve 400,000 people's daily needs. The Coastal Commission previously rejected a privately owned plant 10 times the size of this one. Environmental groups generally say smaller plants don't hurt the surrounding ecosystems as much, so this move is a win for the environment. Desalinization plants are becoming more needed as we are in the worst route we've seen in 1200 years, especially when we don't focus on the biggest user of our water, big agriculture, but I digress. Louisiana's governor just announced a carbon capture and storage project, which will be attached to the LP Industries manufacturing complex that makes ammonia through fossil gas processes called blue ammonia. After being captured, the carbon dioxide will be transferred through 4000 miles of n midstream pipelines to be permanently stored underground on a property owned by ExxonMobil. The companies expect the project to begin early 2025, and when the project is done, it is supposed to take up 2 million metric tons of CO2 annually. The project will likely tap into carbon capture subsidies from the Inflation Reduction Act. The LP Industries Complex is the largest industrial emitter in Louisiana, releasing over 10 million metric tons of CO2 a year, according to Louisiana State's 2021 Greenhouse Gas Inventory Report. The state's whole industry sector emits 142 million metric tons a year, and permitted projects are expected to emit another 101 million metric tons. Suddenly, the 2 million metric tons taken out by this carbon capture project doesn't sound like much. Carbon capture and storage is required at this point for us to avoid the worst impacts of climate change, but how it gets implemented is a tricky topic. This story leads us into the climate fails. Remember, don't get despondent, get mad. Egypt effectively silenced its independent environmentalists according to the Human Rights Watch. This is part of the regime's larger strategy to repress human rights protests, which it says could threaten meaningful climate talks. To be clear, drowning out voices never leads to effective change. Egypt is hosting this year's UN Climate Conference, COP27, next month. As the environmental director of Human Rights Watch said, It will be a fundamental mistake if diplomats go to COP27 thinking they need to go softly on human rights in order to make progress in the climate talks. We will not get the urgent climate action needed without civil society pressure. The situation in Egypt shows us that. Human rights versus climate action is a false debate. It's not either or. We need people in the streets, independent environmentalists and human rights activists, strategic litigation and independent courts to generate change. Some sensitive issues Egypt doesn't want academics and environmental activists to talk about are corporate interests like tourism, agribusiness and real estate, military business like water bottling plants, cement factories and quarry mines and industrial pollution because industrial pollution in Cairo is really bad. Egypt has rejected the Human Rights Watch findings. It's going to be an interesting conference. I already talked about how leaders of the financial institutions like BlackRock and Citigroup will not attend COP27. Other financial groups, a part of the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, or GFANS, like J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America, are threatening to leave the group for fear of being sued if they don't meet the decarbonization targets. They're probably feeling antsy because fossil fuel lending was up for the first nine months of this year by 15% compared to that same period in 2021. That's over $300 billion going against their decarbonization goals of decarbonizing themselves and their portfolios by 2050. They voluntarily signed up for GFANS less than a year ago at COP26. Over 50 groups signed up with a total assets worth $135 trillion. The Transform treaty charity accused UK companies of not mentioning climate change, the environment, or human rights in their bilateral investment treaties or BITS, affording them greater legal protection than the citizens of that country. They also found that companies from the UK, mainly in energy and mining, are among the main case bringers in suits against states, and they do so anytime they think their profits are being threatened. They are able to do that because of an investor state dispute settlement mechanism specified in bits. UK companies have used these treaties and mechanisms to their advantage in 66 cases over the last 10 years. This reminds me of the energy charter treaty that we talked about on Wednesday. Ugh. Developing countries have been disproportionately the ones sued in these cases, like Bolivia, Congo-Brazzaville, Tanzania, and Colombia. It has never been used in Western Europe or North America. Meanwhile, activists had no luck pinning UK companies down for human rights and environmental abuses. According to a different Transform treaty report, there has been no criminal prosecutions of a UK corporation for human rights abuses overseas, and just 17 human rights cases were brought in civil courts with none of them being successful in trial. Although six have been settled and eight are ongoing. Clearly law reform is needed. Switching gears and going back over to the US, the Endangered Species Act isn't working. It hasn't worked well during its 50 years of implementation, mainly due to lack of resources. This is according to a new study published in PLOS One on the eve of the act's 50th anniversary. Ouch. Despite hundreds of species being listed, only 54 have made a full recovery. Main sources of funding for the ESA dropped by almost half when it was measured on a per species basis. More prioritization is clearly needed here based on what we've learned on the biodiversity state earlier in this video. Let's finish up today's episode with an ongoing story. The California oil industry is fighting a new law requiring oil and gas wells to be at least three thousand two hundred feet away from homes, schools, and any other places people could be harmed by drilling operations. It also tightened noise, light, and chemical pollution requirements for existing wells. Operators must provide regulators with analyses of chemicals in any wastewater transported from existing drilling sites, and by January 2027, implement a plan to rapidly detect and fix leaks of noxious gases and methane off those sites. In addition to contributing to climate change, well operations can contaminate regional air and water, causing cancer, asthma and other illnesses. So this is basically a health bill that is being fought right now. Nielsen Markscammer, Scammer, a top lobbying firm that represents several major fossil fuel companies filed a referendum to reverse this ruling on behalf of a board member from the California Independent Petroleum Association. That means the industry and its allies have until December 15th to collect 623,212 signatures to put this matter back on the ballot in the next general election. If they succeed, this process could push off the protections until 2024. It was supposed to come into effect in 2023. And that was your climate recap for Monday, October 17th. Join me on Twitch tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for more climate news. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Becca Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.